he has this i think this got 5.4 million views oh my god what am i doing with my life (laughs) what am i i can why do i bother with any of the things that i try to do but clearly i just need tiktok to Welcome to Attached, a podcast about the loved ones we're attached to and the good, the bad, and the ugly advice about those relationships that maybe we shouldn't be so attached to. We here at Attached want to share ways to enhance your relationships and debunk all of that bad relationship advice using science. I'm Dr. Patricia Robertson out of the University of Tennessee. I'm Dr. Sarah Woods at UT Southwestern Medical Center. And I'm Dr. Sessin Nagash at San Diego State University. Today, Sessin will bring us a discussion about a popular and unique dating show, Love is Blind. FYI, TikTok has been in a fury about this, uh, just a flutter of TikToks, so many opinions. So I'm so excited to have this discussion. Then in our academic deep dive segment, we're going to discuss the academic article, Friend, Foe, or Forgive. Get them. The quality of LGBTQ adult sibling relationships. And then in good or bad advice, we're going to talk about some advice on social media. What? And discuss, of course, if it is good or bad. If you have advice you'd like us to talk about, send it to us. You can email us at attachedpodcast at gmail.com. Tweet us, Facebook us, Instagram us all at attachedpodcast or go to attachpodcast.com and send us a message. Also, wherever you listen to our podcast, YouTube, Apple, Spotify, you know, there are other places I'm sure. Please rate and review it. It really, really helps us get the podcast out to more listeners. But before we get to all of this goodness that we have in store for you this week, what have you guys been up to? Catch me up. Woods, what's up? I think several episodes we talked about how I had adopted the Wordle game. Oh, yes. Yeah, spread that across my family. It eventually became too competitive. Really? I, yeah, I required that we be in separate rooms to do it. <laughs> because just so much back and forth. And then uh, Charlotte and uh, my husband and myself would all be doing it at the same time. Um, and people be asking questions about how do you spell this? And oh, man, how could this letter not be part of the word? And finally, I was like, well... We can't do this in the same room anymore. <laughs> but now what we've been doing lately is the game Samantle. I don't know if you all have no. seen that. I think it's a little bit of a newer development. I was not an early adopter for Wordle, but I feel like I might be an early Samantle adopter. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's much more challenging, but therefore I think a little bit more fun. So yeah. you're, the goal is to guess the word of the day. Uh, by guessing words, and you get as many guesses as you want. It's unlimited guesses that get closer and closer to the meaning of wow. the word. Wow, semantics. Yeah. Okay, yeah. very cool. Yeah. So, I mean, like, appreciation is a word. And you could start with, like, I started with cheese the other day, right? Okay. And they give you a similarity rating. And, of course, it was not remotely similar, right? Right. <laughs> and you're guessing words that are different than that and different than that. So you can start to see you're getting closer and closer in meaning. And then they'll tell you when you're within a thousand words and like how close by um, wow. within a thousand. And that. Yeah, so I recommend it. 
That sounds amazing. The Wordle kind of stretches my mind. My mind doesn't do words well. Um, sure. My mind likes numbers better. Good for a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe spelling words. Spelling. I can talk oh, all day long. <laughs> um, but that math one that you recommended, I don't remember the name oh, of it. Yeah. Go figure. It is a word. Um, I love. It's fantastic. The one that you just talked about, Samantle? Yes. Is that what you said? Okay. S-E-M-A-N-T-L-E. Samantle, when you just talked about it, gave me anxiety thinking about it. Oh. <laughs> Doing it. I was like, oh my God. Um, but it so does, like, um, like it would stretch me, stretch my brain. Oh, I see. So I feel like maybe that is something I should explore. You could try. Yeah. I love how in tune you are with your immediate response though. It's like anxiety. <laughs> mm, okay. <laughs> That's how I feel. I'm going to reject or sit. Stretch me or not. I don't know that I want out of my... (laughs) Yeah. It's good though. That is the one emotion I definitely can always pick up on. Oh, anxiety. Okay. Hello. There you are again. Okay. Hello. Hello, Hello, friend. Anxiety, my old friend. (laughs) Dear friend. Dear friend. With me through all of this. Sass, what have you been up to? What's new in your world or old? That's new again. Or none of that. It's usually something old that I'm just doing over and over again. Um, but uh, <laughs> let's see. You know, I, for the first time, um, did like the Legoland adventures this week with my son. I oh, have it's been a park. one of, it's a park. And okay, I have cool. been that parent who has always sort of decided I will only do these kind of big activities, Disney or this or that, sure. when the age is right, because I don't find any enjoyment out of just doing something because it sounds like a good idea. No, you know, the idea of lines and Dre looking across the way at people laughing on the ride while he's waiting in a line. Ooh. That brings me close to my anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> he is that child who demands what he wants, right? When he wants it. So it's just like dangling, like, you know, for him going is exciting, but it can immediately do the things that he's excited about. Then we're talking about the whining and the crying and this and that. So I've always said, you know, we've got to get to an age where he can handle the weight and sort of just the effort that it takes when you go to these places. And that worked out really well. We went to Legoland, he's five and a half, and we felt like he was really prepared for it. I felt really good about the weight. He'd never been to like an amusement kind of park um before and he did awesome we had a great Yay. time I, oh that's awesome it, uh, yeah i had a great time and then it made me think okay what's next um disney nope uh not forever. nope i think i think we'll stick to legoland forever yeah. <laughs> forever right above, forever he's 18 the- legoland yeah, <laughs> <laughs> once he's out of the house I I think that makes most sense you know I went to Disney as a kid a lot and like Knott's Berry Farm and Magic Mountain I'm from Southern California um in large part with my childhood was here and I remember having a great time but it feels really different now in terms of like what it's like and the weights oh. and the, this and the, then the multiple lines and the VIP line I don't think there should be VIP lines necessarily for kids yeah. like yeah. Mm, I so I have a hard time with the sort of way these sort of places have been like commercialized and $15 popcorn and this and I can't, I get too, uh, what's the word? I don't know. I get in my um, little advocacy mode. Like, this isn't right. <laughs> this is not equal. This is not equitable practice. I know. 
that's how you should be. Yeah, yeah, maybe not the time and place, but you bring up a valid point. Maybe not the time and place. (laughs) But it's a valid point. Yeah, so. Uh, In our neck of the woods, because we're right next to the Smokies, we have all sorts of like little tiny amusement parks. Like we have an aquarium. We have Dollywood, of course, and Splash Mountain. And Dollywood is spectacular. Like, it's remarkable how amazing it is for what sounds like a podunk amusement park. Like I go, it's amazing. I love Dolly. (laughs) Who doesn't love Dolly? But it's fun because I don't have to necessarily do those big Disney World, Disneyland things because they're these little micro parks um, all around this area. Not that we do those a lot, but I feel what you're saying about like super long, big parks, long waits. It's not ideal when you have little ones. So this weekend, I went uh, up into the Smokies uh, to Asheville with my two big kids and met my mother in Asheville. I'm about two hours from Asheville. My uh, parents and sister are about three hours. So it's like a really nice little uh, meeting spot. So we were walking, we parked, we're walking to downtown to find a place to eat. And across the way, I see a sign that says pop-up vintage store. That weekend I was there. I was like, what? <laughs> so I went in. It was amazing. I used to love vintage clothes shopping all the time. Sess and I remember we went in Chicago a bunch. I haven't been in so long, like maybe five years. It's been, I can't say pandemic is the excuse, like just going and perusing a vintage clothes store. I haven't been so, I had so much fun. Can I show you some of the things that I got? Yeah, please. So first look at this amazing, and sorry, our listeners, come pop over to YouTube, check it out. This amazing plaid shirt. Red. I know, right? I oh, like that. So gorgeous. So cool. This shirt, da, 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 super out of the 80s slash 70s. Oh, blue and pink. Ooh, That's and pretty. like white triangle stripes. Yeah. I love it. That's a nice Thank pattern. you for describing it. And yeah, yeah. you're welcome. <laughs> summer. It's going to be fresh for summer. I like it. It will be. I got this kind of like uh, wool skirt, like stretchy wool skirt. Of course skirt. you did. Mm-hmm. Yep. I thought, look at mm-hmm. that combo. Oh, no. No, no. Yes. 100%. Oh, I'm so excited about it. Oh, my God. What about the red shirt combo? Oh, my God. Sesson says no. Fantastic. And last but not least, I just kind of got this, like, over shirt that's kind of see-through-y. And I'm not going to wear it. Oh, it's like a sheer Ah. shirt to put on top of other shirts. I know. Bathing suits? I don't know. Not bathing suits. Other shirts. Other shirts. Maybe like a dress or something like that. It's black. Black polka dots. Oh, and she dropped it. creative. They were all, like, around $5 each. Wow. Oh, my gosh. So much joy. (laughs) Can't wait to wear them. Did you try any of them on while you were there or did you just take them off the rack? What is your guess? <laughs> I've rarely seen you ever try on clothes. You tend to just hold them up to your body and say, eh, it looks like it'll fit. <laughs> and that That's brings exactly. me close to my anxiety. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, it is one step better than my mom who would growing up, she would just not go to the fitting room. Put the clothes on over the your existing over you. clothes. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. She would do this. Oh, she would sure. try when you'd have to watch. 
and I'd have to watch her try to put this clothes on over all of her clothes that she's currently wearing in front of this. So it's a family. I chain. don't do that. Sure. I haven't well, seen you take pants and put them around your neck though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's the same as my waist. That is so funny with the pandemic and all the fitting rooms being closed in, you know, lots of different stores. I can't tell you a number of things I had to like return over, you know, time. It's like, nope, didn't fit, but I didn't really want to have to drive 30 minutes to do this. Like, I would have just liked to have tried it on, but they're back now. So it's nice. I'm fitting a big fan of fitting rooms. Fitting rooms are back. Just feel Which like if it's notice. too big. Yeah, I didn't notice. <laughs> uh, if it's too big, I'll just belt it or put a nice cardigan over it because they wear cardigans anyway all the time. It just doesn't. Suspenders. Yeah, sure. Ooh, that is really good. I will definitely start doing that. Um, <laughs> It's when it's too small is when it's bothersome, but you can always is like, it, I feel like you always put some like tights on it and a little pair of boots true. if it's a dress. That's true. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, that's too short. I don't mind if it's too short. Cause I agree. You can put tights or leggings and some boots and it's fantastic. It's like when it's too tight on my boobs is when it starts, it just looks mm-hmm. not good, but I know how to like, sew a little bit. So like I can like relieve oh. it and like put a little patch or like something right there. So there are ways around things when they're too small too. First up, pop in culture. We learn about relationships from our friends and families, friends like you guys. But a lot of what we think about love and relationships come from what we see in pop culture. For this first segment, we take a moment to highlight events in pop culture that influence people's lives and how we view relationships. Sasan, What's on the docket? What do you got for us? Well, last week, um, you all heard me bring up the topic of reality dating shows and its influence on our society. So um, this week, I thought I'd follow up with an actual show to talk about. Love um, it. Yeah. Uh, this one is called Love is Blind. Okay. It's a Netflix Blind. original. Love is Blind. Very intriguing title. Um, but it's a misleading title too, oh. <laughs> because the show isn't really about seeing past a partner's faults. That's sort of what the oh, saying sure. is, right? Sure. Um, because you love them. Mm. It's oh. yeah, it's about actually um spending time together, building a relationship with someone and getting engaged to them or not what? Um, oh. all without ever having seen them right so those folks who don't get engaged at the end of the what are called pods um don't sort of make it on the show or continue on the series and those who do oh. we follow their journey um once they leave the pods the pods are about like a week and a half sort of long could be shorter some people could get engaged in the pod in a matter of days and then what what's a pod so there's an incentive to get engaged so many questions oh sure sorry yes that's part of the concern i have um one of many um but the pods are these rooms that divide each um contestant or partner right um and so far it's been um heterosexual uh Mm -hmm. couples they can't um, see each other, only hear each other. Is that right or no? Right. So they can only so like hear a, each other. They're in separate Catholic confessional. rooms. <laughs> exactly. With a nice couch and a table and you can bring in your food and your blankets and you can sit there for hours ch- chatting this other oh. person. And so there's 15 um, individuals on one side and then 15 on the other. The men and the women are divided. And then they like all date each other. And if there are folks you're particularly interested in, then you will spend a little 
more time with them in the pod, right? Engaging in communication. Um, and then once you decide, I really like this person, it's not, I want to date them. It's, I want to become engaged to them. Oh, <laughs> so right. you skip a couple steps, but that is sort of like the, the pods end for you once you have um, found your person. And so you propose in the pods and then if they say yes, then the next day, I guess you meet face-to-face and that's the first physical oh. sort of face-to-face that you have. Then you sort of repropose again, and then you're off to a vacation uh, for a week oh. where you get to know each other a little more. Um, <laughs> and then within a month of that, you are getting married. So in all in about a six-week period from the very first sort of time you meet to your wedding is about six weeks, I think. Um, really a lot of time. So, I mean, some people do get married really, really quick and have super successful relationships, but putting that time pressure on a relationship maybe isn't the ideal. Right. Right. Yes. And that's um, so the show is unique in that way, in the way they sort of set it up. They really focus on um, this idea that the foundation of any sound relationship is based on a sound emotional connection. And that is what you are building when you are in these pods, you are taking out a lot of the contextual factors that sort of sometimes can challenge your relationship, Um, you know, family, work, finances, all these things that you try to temporarily remove so that you can really get to know each other. That was my next question was whether or not they like maintained employment while they were participants, but it's- No, it's removing all variables, right? Everything and the focus is like, hyper-focused on just building this connection. (laughs) Right. So, you know, they do acknowledge early on, like this is sort of, you know, an opportunity for you just to really build a connection and remove sort of all of the noise around you in life. Right. And then that sort of noise is reintroduced once you meet and after your vacation. However, um, I think what I'm questioning is sort of the basis of the idea that you can really build a sound, genuine, emotional connection right. just by being with this other person and engaging in dialogue back and forth. The idea of, of how do you build a genuine emotional connection? Is it truly or only through conversation, right? right? Or is there more required? The research shows that there's more required yeah. that, you know, the lived experiences, the gestures, the small exchanges that you have in your relationship that require context and require other elements to be in place, that that is what can build a sound emotional connection. That's where the foundation is. Conversations are great, but they're only part of how mm-hmm. you build an emotional connection. Mm-hmm. So there's something that is misleading about that idea to me as oh, I'm yeah. watching, right? Because a lot of the contestants keep saying, like, we were really focused on building this sound emotional connection. And that's what we were able to do. Like, there's an end point to that, right? No, conversation is the beginning of starting to try to build that. Right. But there's these other things you need to really continue to build on that emotional connection. And just as much as you build on it, it can be challenged and it can be fractured in some ways, depending on that. So I guess, um, again, going back to what I said last week is like, what ideas are we promoting here? What social responsibilities do we have in the way we're setting up these shows in terms of what it takes to really build a sound relationship? So I have some questions for you too about this. So 
one, I'm curious, what do you all think about what it takes to build an emotional connection? Um, does it require lived exchanges with this person over time? Or can you really build a sound emotional foundation through sharing just your ideas and describing your history and the, the only things that they have within these pods or that kind of information? Yeah, I think uh, you described it earlier, sort of um, the show's conceptualizing these outside experiences and outside factors as noise or sort of barriers to connection, but they're also opportunities for connection, right? What you're sort of describing in terms of uh, work and friends and family, and those can take time and energy away from a relationship, but also they're opportunities for partners to be confidants and to provide support and to celebrate achievement and all of these other really big, crucial relationship experiences that are how you know whether or not you want to spend mm. time together and develop that commitment and loyalty piece of the relationship. Yeah. And I think what you're also saying is what sprung to my mind is the idea of trust and not like in terms of infidelity, but in terms of like emotional trust that if we're in a stressful situation, I can trust that we can handle it together, right? Building a relationship in a vacuum void of potential stressors, even if they're low grade stressors or really high grade stressors, is this false sense of potentially emotional intimacy, because you don't really know if like you guys can handle that or not. You don't know, you trust the emotional bond you have and having a strong foundation of a relationship has to involve that trust as well. Also, is it bad that my only thought while you're describing the show is what the hell are they talking about? (laughs) (laughs) What are they even sustaining? Like, what are you talking about? My interest in Wordle, but I'm not allowed my phone. Where's your, where's your, what are you doing? And this is what I noticed. A lot of what they're talking about are their hopes and their dreams and what they want and qualities and apart. So a lot of how they're building this emotional connection is based on ideas, right? Right. Like these aren't grounded in experiences that you've exchanged. They're not necessarily grounded in things that you're observing in your partner. So arguably you could say that they are starting to build, right? An emotional connection. But to say that now that you've established an emotional connection, go out into the real world and see if you can really handle sort of the contextual elements of the real world and how it affects your relationship as though one is already done and checked off the list. (laughs) So it's- Emotional connection, check. Check, yes. Married. Absolutely. And like you said, um, Patricia, the way you make up intimacy is really through these incremental gestures. Mm -hmm. Can you show up for me in this moment? Did you rub my back when I had a really hard day? Are you able to um, share with me, you know, not just what you feel, but like, are you able to show me vulnerability in moments where we we really need it? Like, those are the things that really make for real intimacy. Exactly. And the reverse of that, like, when I try to comfort you after your bad day, like you're willing to accept my comfort, right? Like it goes both ways. Like we can connect with each other and effectively comfort each other in a way that is beneficial and not like, no, that's not, you know what I mean? Like it goes both ways as well, which is so interesting. It's the process of learning each other as you're experiencing life together. Right. And so time is of the most important. And I get the sense that a lot of these contestants feel like 
they're running up against some kind of clock and that pressure. And I don't know if it's just these contestants, but in a lot of ways, when you talk to people sometimes about relationships, they think like there's supposed to be a speed at which these things need to go Mm. and be developed. And I think that puts some real pressure on one's effort to really genuinely try to build an emotional connection. It takes time to build an emotional connection. And so time should be our friend in relationships and building. But for some reason, I get the sense sometimes that time is seen as something that you're working against, right? Um, So I, I wonder how we as a society also put that pressure on people to date in a certain timeline. Right. And I think that time pressure is more so put on women than men. And I think this kind of uh, idea that you can only have kids for so long, therefore you need to hurry up and get married and go through this stage of your life. I'm sure there is a pressure on men, but I don't think it is near as stark as it is on women in relationships and family formation and things of that nature. Mm, Yeah, well, this show, um, I have to admit, I'm really enjoying it though. Well, it is entertainment. It is, you know, I know it's getting a lot of attention on social media, but there's a reason I find perhaps it's the way they're selecting their characters. Uh, There are some real interesting folks on this show. Some people that you just literally would be friends with and like love to spend and others where you're just like, oh no, they definitely, yeah, they definitely selected you for this. Like there is a reason, like there's an entertainment value. (laughs) Yeah, but I have to admit, I'm enjoying the show. Um, I have a lot of concern about the way they promote certain ideas about the uh, relationships, but. Are you making predictions? Are you like doing like a Super Bowl board, making predictions about which couples will come together, stay together? So I am now on the second season. I discovered the show really late. And this is interesting. A show came out in 2020, I think. And maybe they were filming in 19. I'm not sure, but. It has been three years, I guess, since they first started filming or something Mm. like that. But I had no idea it existed until a few weeks ago. So I have been powering. I've been going through episode after episode. And then to my delightful surprise, I find that there's a reunion episode. And then there's a (laughs) one-year reunion episode and a two-year reunion episode. Who gets this kind of longitudinal experience? It's amazing. (laughs) I've never experienced anything like that because with social media, you hear immediately like did this couple stay together or break up? But I have been able to like get to listen to these couples over years now. And it's like, I don't get that same sort of advantage with the second season because it's coming out sort of, I think, in real time. Um, I did not get it right the first time. I have to admit, I shouldn't admit that, but uh, there were certain relationships, but that is also consistent. Like it's interesting to see which characters seemingly really focused on the wrong things and when they had a really I think good connection or and I shouldn't say connection but qualities that were really sound in a partner they did not necessarily pick them so Uh people are not always clearly ready to take this really important step in developing their relationship Um, so but yes it's been interesting I got one right I think out of the six that 
got engaged. Oh, so well, now I want to play. I mean, watch. <laughs> you watch. Yes. <laughs> These are real people. <laughs> no. Are they though? We also refer to them as characters. Um, so <laughs> go watch the show. It sounds like it's potentially enjoyable, but also with the caveat that um, they might be emphasizing the wrong thing when it comes to developing long-term relationships. Thank you very much. That's really cool. And I may actually go watch this one. No promises though. Now we're going to move to our academic deep dive segment and talk about a new paper titled Friend, Foe, or Forget Em, The Quality of LGBTQ Adult Sibling Relationships. I'm not 100% sure, but I assume that that is how the authors intended me to yes. read that because we're going for like the more like dramatic yep. readings yep. of these articles to bring a little life to research papers. Uh, yep. My continued goal, life goal. So this article was recently published in the Journal of Marriage and Family, written by Dr. Rin Rezik, Lawrence Stacy, and Chloe Dunstan at Ohio State. These authors explore the quality of sibling relationships in adulthood and whether the type of sibling relationships, full, step, half, or chosen, impacts relationship quality. Siblings are our longest relationships in life because they're often emotionally intense and close. The quality of these relationships when we're young can have an important uh, effect on our health and development. For lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer or LGBTQ kids, siblings may be especially important. The authors highlight that adolescent siblings are often the first people that LGBTQ kids share their identity with. I did not know that. That's so powerful. Providing an important place for safety, support, and solidarity. But it is unknown how that safety and support or, sadly, judgment or rejection may continue into adulthood. In addition, prior sibling research has focused on full siblings, kids who share two biological or adoptive parents. However, almost a third of adults have step or half siblings. I am definitely among those adults. And these relationships tend to be less close than other types of sibling relationships. No comment from me. LGBTQ adults may also have families of choice, parents and siblings not defined by biological or legal connections. These chosen siblings may be uniquely important sources of support. Given the marginalization and discrimination LGBTQ adults regularly face, characterizing the nature of the sibling relationships is necessary to understand this possible source of inclusion and connection or conflict. Sarah, these authors use an intra generational solidarity conflict ambivalence framework honestly i'm embarrassed to say i don't think i've ever heard of that before um can you help us understand what that means and how it shapes this study yeah i had not ever heard of it before either oh, so i don't think you not need to me. be embarrassed i think Oof. you're in I'm going to call us good company. Uh, so <laughs> that framework, the authors actually adapted from the intergenerational approach 
that was previously used in prior research to explore the quality of parent and adult child relationships. Uh, so these so three components. Intra the same generation yes. siblings. Yes, exactly. Nailing it. My That's brain right. caught That's up. That's right. You did it. <laughs> uh, so the, those three pieces, the solidarity, conflict, and ambivalence of the framework are important in terms of how it framed and shaped how they viewed the data that they had and mm -hmm. also how we can then take away from their findings. So solidarity is defined as, in a few different ways, contact, support, instrumental or emotional, mutuality, close proximity, meaning not emotional proximity, but that physical, geographical proximity, affection, oh, value yeah. similarity, family obligation. So these are positive qualities of a relationship. Uh, conflict being um, obviously negative qualities. So that overt disagreement that can happen in relationships, verbal or physical, or covert disagreement like avoidance or silence. So that's that negative aspect of relationship quality. And then ambivalence is a mix of both conflict and solidarity that we can sometimes, um, mm. as originally described in parent-adult-child relationships, have feelings of both the conflict and disagreement as well as the solidarity and support. Uh, and so what they... Oh, go ahead. I remember we've talked about before that not exactly loving the term ambivalence because ambivalence kind of yeah. communicates like I don't really care, but I don't know if sure. like research wise that's exactly what it is. It's more of a mix of things rather than an I don't care of things. Yes. Right? Is that fair? Yes. Okay. And here that's exactly what that framework means is both the feelings of solidarity and conflict. Yeah. I agree for me personally, whenever I read about relationship ambivalence, uh, <laughs> it's always a little bit for me to wrap my mind around. Yeah. Um, uh, Intragenerational, you're exactly right, Patricia. That's these authors took this framework and adapted it to look at sibling relationships with uh, the idea that we can probably or potentially understand those types of relationships using that same lens. Right. So what these authors uh, used were qualitative interviews with 67 LGBTQ adults with a sibling from a large Midwestern city. And part of what they describe is why Midwestern specifically is important because the literature overrepresents um, relationships among queer adults from urban, large city uh, centers, coastal. coastal areas. Yeah. Okay. But so many LGBTQ adults live in the Midwest that this is a really important additional um, advance that they're making to sort of explore these groups of people. Mm. Um, so the participants could identify anyone they considered a sibling, and they were asked to explain the quality and the type of the relationship. That wasn't predefined for them. They didn't select. They were asked to describe that for themselves. For example, seven of their 67 did describe a chosen sibling relationship, but they also had other sibling relationships that they also described. Um, so questions that they were asked in these qualitative interviews, they were asked questions like, what is your relationship like with your siblings? How has your sibling relationship changed for better or worse over time? Have you ever stopped contact with that specific sibling? Yeah. And if so, why? Um, and then they took all of that data and the codes that they looked at, they looked for themes amongst these qualitative interviews, these transcripts of these interviews, and they mapped those themes onto that intragenerational mm. model of solidarity, conflict, and ambivalence, but they also remained flexible to reflect themes that they found in this specific data set because 
Um, Beautiful. Using it with siblings and LGBTQ adults is something new and different. This right. section of the paper for people interested in qualitative research um, is just so beautifully described to the point where I feel like you could envision literally uh, this team sitting and doing the coding and working Aww. together back and forth. It's I so it. beautifully described. It's gorgeous. Um, so what they found... Uh, in these interviews were themes that aligned with the solidarity and conflict components of that framework. And so I'm going to describe those first. Okay. Um, So the solidarity theme, uh, which is, I had to Google, um, different than the word solidarity in that it's just characterized by solidarity. So the the word solidarity in my brain was like really uniquely challenging. It's going to be the next word on your uh, new uh, game. uh, My semantle. Semantle. I will not find it. I will not get there. (laughs) So 39 of their participants uh, described sibling relationships that fell in this high quality theme where their sibling relationship had a positive impact and it included all types of relationships including step siblings where research would traditionally describe these as relationships that are less close that wasn't true in this data set which i think is really interesting yeah and 39 is well over the majority of this sample of 67 so that's really i love that right off the bat yeah right um, and so within this big theme of this positive quality of these relationships, they found several sub-themes. Um, mm-hmm. First, what they are characterizing as siblings provided emotional, instrumental, and financial support and closeness. So these are relationships that uh, respondents described as very open, having a close bond with lots of quality affirmative time spent together. There was a dependability. They could rely on their siblings, and that supported their um, positive mental health outcomes. They also described this financial housing support where they had to lean on each other. The other sub-theme being that their siblings specifically supported their LGBTQ identity. Mm. So they were describing some of them, eight, I think of them had siblings who were part of the LGBTQ community as well. So they had shared experience, um, which is how rich to think about that quality of support that we're going through this experience Mm. together. You get me, we get each other, but also that their siblings were at times helping their parents work through queer phobia, that their parents weren't getting it. And their siblings were their advocates to say, "Uh uh-uh, this is how we're going to understand how this works. This is her partner for and you're them. able to use that language. Yes. It's just beautiful. And so I'm going to read one quote from this piece because I it moved me to tears. It's bigger than oh. what I'm going to read. But um, uh, it was a participant describing uh, a brother um, and saying, him and I have told each other this, that if we had to walk through hell, I'm hoping it's him that's standing beside me oh. because that's what we do. I would do anything for my brothers and conversely, they would do the same thing for me. I love that. That's so beautiful. I know. It's so gorgeous. It's just rich. What they have is so rich. And the way they've coded it is so beautiful and intentional. It's a gorgeous paper. And so the second theme was that conflictual mm. code. 52 of their respondents okay. described. So yeah, that's more than the other one. Yep. So uh, these are those low quality um, uh, relationships characterized by sort of low quality. They have a strong negative impact. In this theme, we only found full siblings. Only full siblings were described as conflictual. Yes. And this was more frequently described by transgender and gender expansive respondents. Mm -hmm. Um, And so some of the sub-themes which 
Um, they're not exclusive to be clear, meaning that a sibling relationship could be defined in a few of these different ways, but these are the themes that they found. One of these being that their sibling might be troubled. That was the word that they used. So they might have ongoing substance use, mental health issues, behavioral mm-hmm. issues that are causing some strain and distance and just sort of generally problematic where the family's not always entirely sure how to engage with the sibling. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think really important, the second sub-theme about um, siblings being anti-LGBTQ. So mm-hmm. specifically because we're seeing, or they saw this theme uh, occur more for transgender and gender expansive participants, um, what they were describing was a lot of transphobia. So failing to use correct pronouns, not respecting gender identity. These types of relationships were causing a lot of pain for yeah. these respondents. Um, and then third, family, they described it as family system goes haywire. And this could look like favoritism, parental favoritism, um, or oh. also the conflict with siblings also created stress with the parents. So this is this idea where sometimes my sibling relationship also can harm my relationship with our parents. And then I can also start to feel abandoned because uh, it's less inclusive. Wow. This third theme that they found was not part of their original framework. They labeled it as tangential. So 58 respondents described tangential sibling relationships. So it's a new category, not in their initial framework. Uh, And this is the absence of relationship quality at the present moment. So little contact, little impact. These were found um, among full step and half siblings, but not chosen siblings, mm-hmm. um, and most often described by cisgender or bisexual respondents. Um, so these are relationships where sibling bonds never forged in childhood. They never um, had a tight oh. bond when they were young, and that just sort of continued. They sort of saw sometimes these relationships as fairly pointless. Um, also, siblings maybe were emotionally or geographically distant. Or they were described as siblings have their own family. They have their own significant other. They have their own kids. Um, In general, even if there was some maybe disappointment uh, or some expectation about maybe we wish we had been closer, these relationships weren't painful. So they didn't find ambivalent sibling relationships with a mix. That was not a theme that emerged in this data, which they uh, would have expected from the framework. They found these tangential relationships where... We don't have that much contact. A lot of these relationships tended to be, quote, like preserved because of this sort of norm around family is important, but they weren't close and it wasn't negative or positive. Right. Um, So I think what's really important as a caveat is they're describing the quality of these sibling relationships in the present moment. So they're informed by all of these past experiences. Mm -hmm. I mean, as you described, Patricia, these are the longest lasting relationships in our lives. A few of siblings, um, they tend to be the longest lasting relationships that we have. Um, And so you're bringing all of that past history and experiences into how it informs the present quality. But they're not looking at technically how those relationships changed and shifted over time, um, which I do think would be a whole other kind of project, but um, a caveat that they make as well. Um, So interesting, I think, that the sibling relationships that this group described were fairly one-dimensional. They didn't have that ambivalent category of parent-adult-child relationships. And so it's possible we maybe sort of, yeah, expect a little bit less from our siblings in general. I'm not exactly sure. I'm not sure they know either, but um, it was also interesting that if step-siblings weren't positive, they were tangential. So interesting, potentially sort of speaking to that closeness piece about sometimes they were really rich and really supportive, but if not, there's less potentially yeah. an obligation of us to maintain that 
contact and stay in conflict. Yeah, it almost has a flavor of cutoff. Sure. Like I'm yeah. wondering if there's any of that, but it, it sounds like maybe it's more just like who are they? Yeah, I mean, I guess they're over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not I, sure. It's a good question. I was just going to say, I wonder if some of it is like, if it's not close, then I'm not going to muddy things up and we're just going to sort uh, of walk yeah. parallel in this life. Of, and especially if there's maybe connection, a strong connection and relationship between the parents, right? And oh, yeah. um, even and just wanting to keep things in their family really calm, right? So it's like, we're not going to be close, but we're also not going to, we're just going to keep our distance a little bit and, and we're okay with that. There's like a mutual sort of yeah. understanding mm-hmm. of that. So that makes more sense to me. And I'm part of a step family too. So I think that I can identify with some of that, the idea, like we like each other, but we just don't really invest in the same ways. And it's for many different reasons, I think. But I think especially if you have like that desire to keep those family ties really calm and stable, um, especially for the sake of the parents, then um, yeah, you find a way. That's a really good point for the sake of the parents. So I have a question and then a curiosity. Um, So there are 67 people who participated in this. Yes. And 39 were uh, solidary, solidary. I'm not sure where the accent goes. Sorry. Um, (laughs) And 52 were conflictual, but that adds up to more than 67. So tell me. Describe more than one sibling sibling. relationship. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So yes. it's like potentially one sibling could be conflictual and one yes. could be solidary. So we're talking about these individual relationships and not like the relationships as a whole. Oh, very cool. And how they're, so I think the respondents were talking about them in connection. The quotes in this paper, they're talking quite a bit about how the relationship with one sibling, for example, might be impacted by, like their understanding and acceptance of their gender identity might be impacted by their nieces and nephews who prompt another sibling to reinforce with this. I mean, there was a lot of other relationships talked about. Um, This is how they coded those themes. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And my other curiosity is, I know this was obviously intra-generational, but I am curious about the intergenerational piece sure. about how the, and there was some hints about it, but how the quality of the person and the parent relationship might inform intersect. the intersect with the f- sibling relationship, like in the ages of the siblings and the distance between those two, because I can see how in some families, the parents might model how to, um, you know, interact with that sibling, uh, the sibling reporting. Um, and in some, it sounds like it's the sibling who's modeling how to properly behave right. Uh, right. and accept. And be uh, supportive. Yeah. yeah. So that yeah. kind of triangle effect I'm really curious about, too. It's a really cool question in terms of uh, taking this family systems approach that they're using mm-hmm. and, and expanding it outwards too. I mean, part of what they found to speak to sort of what you're saying is that gender minority sibling relationships were among the most painful. Yeah. Sibling relationships in general for LGBTQ adults are not necessarily helpful and they may actually be harmful. And to what you're saying, Patricia, is that if you are um, experiencing that conflict and pain in sibling relationships nested within a family, if that's replicated with your relationship with your parents yeah. and or other family members, um, um, that marginalization and exclusion and rejection, the pain would be magnified. Yeah. Uh, and so I do think an interesting question. I think um, the other piece that I think is an interesting takeaway is that uh, 
as the authors say, I think this was their language that I'm borrowing, the family may be family in name only. So there mm. are family relationships that may not have a major influence on our daily lives. Um, uh, but in their absence, among LGBTQ adults, they may create these chosen siblings. Yeah. So they still need support and solidarity, and they may be more likely to pull in and name close people as family if they feel like they're missing out on that obligatory positive family relationship and those relationships chosen siblings were full of solidarity and that is a really important additional piece that may be really unique to this population did you happen to hear anything about the ethnicity and race of the participants and how Ooh, that good question um because i'm thinking about the intersection between yeah. you know the sexuality and the race and ethnicity and mm-hmm. how that may also factor in so they did describe their sample as very diverse mm. uh, and that that included race and ethnicity diversity uh, and they did not find clear ways that their respondents talked about the intersection of race, ethnicity and these sibling relationships, um, which is not to say that those intersections don't exist, but in this specific sample and this qualitative data, they didn't find ways that that mm. intersected. They didn't hear those themes. The siblings. Um, and also you could um, imagine that the compounding uh, experiences of marginalization um, could also potentially benefit even more so from relationships of support and solidarity within your family. Right. Woohoo! Boo! Finally, time for good or bad advice, where we talk about pervasive relationship advice in our culture. We hear relationship advice from our parents, family, and friends. We see advice about how to be in relationships from the movies and TV shows. And we read endless advice spewed at us on all the social media outlets. Outlets. That's how the kids say that. Blogs (laughs) and numerous top 10 type lists. But... Believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, a lot of it just actually isn't good advice for our relationships. I know this is really hard to wrap our brain around, but a lot of it just isn't. I'm just kidding, of course. This is the part of the show when we use science, mind you, to decide if the advice is good or bad. If you have seen or heard any advice you'd like us to talk about, send it to us. Email us at attachedpodcast at gmail.com or get at us on Twitter, Insta, or Facebook at attachedpodcast. All the same. How lucky are we? Or go to attachedpodcast.com and send us a message. While you're at it, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your very favorite podcast app or YouTube. Go there, watch our video, check out the clothing I just showed in the first half of the episode. Um, (laughs) Super exciting. Um, And then, as always, share it with your loved ones. Just, you know, get the link and email it or text it um, to your parents. Um, Or what I tend to have to do is um, go on their phone and just, like, download it and then play it and then, like, give it to them. Um, Just a bit of advice about how to get loved ones to listen to it. So today we're going to go back to one of my old favorites and read some advice from social media. Oh, the social media endless, a bounty of uh, information for our podcast. First up, we are going to start in the wonderful world of Instagram. So this uh, post was sent 
Um, it is by uh, Evolve Therapy, MN. Uh, I assume that's Minnesota. This is a dating advice. I'm going to show you guys the picture, um, but it's also available in our notes, so you can definitely pull it up right now if you want. Um, so it says attraction, curiosity, exploration, values alignment, emotional intimacy, sexual intimacy. And this is dating advice. It doesn't show up at all. Ignore that. So what they say is, lately, I have been talking to my single clients about dating. Attraction is what hooks us to people, what we want to then get curious with. So many people choose lust and think it's love. Without a deeper foundation, the relationship will fade away quickly. These relationships end as fast as they start. The lust is the spark which ignites the curiosity. When we get curious with ourselves, first we get to speak on our values and goals in a relationship and also set hard boundaries. Then the explorations can start. If attraction is there, you can lead into asking questions. Get to know the person before rushing into anything. See if your values align. Seeing if you're compatible. Seeing if this relationship makes you feel alive and safe. If that is there, then you will have some emotional intimacy. Then comes sexual intimacy. Not the other way around. Keep dating and you will eventually find someone to partner with. So, it was a bit of a long explanation for... Um, this visual of attraction, curiosity, exploration, values, alignment, emotional intimacy, sexual intimacy, good or bad advice. And obviously you could say some of it's good, some of it maybe not so good. Thoughts? I don't think it's bad advice. I'm just not sure it's universal advice. Mm, I like that. It mm -hmm. sounds like what you're saying is attraction then leads to curiosity. Like these things are sort of layered Sequential. in order and steps mm -hmm. and sexual intimacy coming last. And also I'm not sure that that's how that always happens for people. Yeah. Um, and potentially what this person is sort of suggesting is that this can be a really positive way to build healthy relationships. Um, and also um, part of exploration and curiosity can include sexual relationships um, that can also enhance emotional intimacy. And so I don't know that it's necessarily bad advice. It could be really good advice for people who are saying, help me understand how I might want to try to build a healthy relationship. Um, and also I think there are ideas um, about the fact that uh, emotional intimacy leads to closer sexual relationships, but I think it is also true that the reverse happens as well. Yeah. So potentially if this works for you, it sounds good, but there's evidence yeah. that this kind of sequential order isn't um, always universal. universal. Right. Yeah. yeah. So medium-ish <laughs> advice, good and bad, or potentially good <laughs> advice. Uh, Sesson, what are your thoughts? I agree um, with that completely. And I also just think this kind of advice feels like the kind of advice that you sometimes hear that's really 
general and not very grounded in like what a person actually needs to do to who, like, I, you know, when you yeah. say these things about lust or you say things like session, I don't think, you know, the lay person knows what that looks like. And so mm-hmm. I think if we're going to be helpful, we have to actually ground it in like examples and genuine, like effort to understand what are the, like contextualize it in someone's life. And so, um, it might be like helpful on some level, but there's just so much in between to have to decipher and to think about and look at. So there's makings for good advice within that. But I think um, I go back to the idea that we just all, I think could benefit from relationship education that is just much more in depth and um, focused on what really are the sort of day-to-day kind of experiences that people are having to really ground it for them. Yeah, I agree. So um, similarly, like there are elements of stuff that are really good here. I also agree with what you're saying about how lust um, sometimes gets a bad rap. And also maybe we don't necessarily know what the difference between lust and attraction are. They actually might be the same thing, but confusing lust for love Um I think is like the difference between limerence and um, like compassionate love, like that emotional excitement of limerence when we're in love and like all we can do is think about that person versus compassionate love. I agree with everything. So good-ish advice, you know, is kind of what we're saying. But I also think that the linearity of this, which we're kind of all hinting, is where my biggest red flag is for this. Because I think that attraction comes first and then curiosity kind of saying it like this, which may not be what this person intended, but I think it potentially is perceived that attraction then goes away. But I think when you're building up, you know, values alignment, it could circle back down and your attraction increases, right? Or values alignment and your attraction decreases and you get less curious about people or when you have sexual intimacy it can increase your emotional intimacy with that person and feed off each other so i think these things can kind of be like a feedback loop that are all kind of uh synergistic mm-hmm. that might not be a yeah. word synergistic oh you're good. Well, look at me <laughs> we'll, we'll make it a synergistic we'll one yeah. and it's not as linear you know, I think they kind of coexist at the same time and feed off of each other is how I would prefer to see all of these components. But I agree. I think all of these components, really attraction, good. curiosity, exploration, mm-hmm. values, alignment, emotional intimacy, sexual intimacy are all really critical for a foundation of a relationship, a long lasting relationship, but also super low key. Maybe you don't want a long lasting relationship. Sure. Sure. Like that's okay too. Right, right, right. The person who shared this content talking about doing this with their clients may be specifically talking with clients who are looking for long-term relationships. Fair, fair, fair. You're right that we're taking it outside of that context and thinking about does it apply as advice you can generalize. And it also makes me think about like Esther Perel's work um, in terms of describing uh, intimate relationships that may never have gone through some intense values alignment process uh, and yet sexual intimacy can be um big part of some of our relationships that um may not have gone through several of those other steps okay you guys ready for the next one yes popping now over to the love of my life tiktok um this is a stitch uh, from brie of the house of herne from a life coach, Leah, I ignore that I said life coach. 
Sure. When you go to the club and they tell you mm-hmm. it's $10 to get in, what do you do? You pay it. You pay the $10 fucking dollars or you don't get in. Yes, that's... Okay? That's just how it is. doesn't give a fuck who you are. No, they don't. The cover is what it is, and mm-hmm. if you don't pay it, you're not coming in. Duh. You're allowed to be the exact same way about what it takes to access you. Excuse me? If you tell someone basic communication and consideration skills are my cover charge, they can pay it or they can't come in. They so- don't get access to you. You're the bouncer at the door. You choose what you allow in your life and what you don't. So, bitch, set your cover charge. Okay. And it doesn't matter who's coming up to try and get in. You pay it or you fuck off. Oh, my God. Could be nice when it comes to your boundaries. All right. So, love uh, Bree's reaction there. Are we thinking, what are we thinking? Good or bad advice? Set your cover charge, bitch. Oh, my, my. My, my, my. Mm. I once watched this incredible therapist do couples work where I heard her ask, what is your bottom line? So seriously and so directly that I held my breath for several minutes. (laughs) And it was such a powerful therapy intervention. And that therapist was definitely Sesson. And ever since watching her talk with couples about what is your bottom line? What are you willing to accept here? And you need to be able to define that for yourself and also your partner, because essentially the first couple I saw her do with this partner was running all over the other one mm-hmm. and also had no idea where the boundaries were, what was acceptable, what wasn't acceptable. Mm. Um, and it is something that I have used with students, uh, supervisees, <laughs> residents, uh, couples, families, uh, all over the place, because, um, Sesson defined that for me. I think that mm-hmm. is really important. She's magical. Oh, <laughs> Well, I appreciate that. I don't remember that session, but I'm sure. <laughs> I do. Um, yeah, I love it. Wow. Uh, I don't think I could get past the emotional reactivity in that moment. Um, it felt very real for him. <laughs> but I think the first thing that came to mind is that it's really sort of feels very black and white thinking. Um, this and very transactional. Uh, so I, immediately, I think um, I would go towards bad advice um i even though i just said for me oh my god okay go on no no we're listening we're listening we're open yes i think my answer is more based on just the intensity in which he communicated his ideas um i tend to appreciate the softness in people's messages that does not make the advice invalid, but I hit point taken indeed. That I'm is taken. it's like the delivery. But it's important um, how you communicate is really, really important. I would agree with that. But if we he said it softly, I, so I get yeah, I get the essence of what he's trying to say. And I can okay. support that. I can support what the underlying message is there. Um and I might not be the best person to ask for this one because I just can't get past the delivery. The delivery. All right, then we'll pop over to Woods. Wood, good or bad advice? Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, like I thought it was good advice. I would have said it was good advice in terms of how important it is to understand what you're willing to accept, what you'd like out of a relationship, and then being able to communicate those expectations mm-hmm. uh, and those needs to your partner. And that having a bottom line can be 
Yeah. And once taught me <laughs> really important. <laughs> I totally agree. Having a bottom line is important. You have to know sort of, you have to set those boundaries for both of you. Mm-hmm. I think and it, having clear boundaries is um, critical to the health of any relationship. I think so. It helps your partner considerably when you share what you are yeah. willing to accept within the relationship. It really lets them know, like, this is really something that either is going to help us, you know, connect or not. And I have found a lot of the time when couples are only willing to speak their boundaries after the fact, it, you know, there's a lot of damage sometimes gets created in the process. And so as much as you can do that um, upfront and really try also to um, be really grounded in the way you're describing those boundaries, I think the more opportunity you get for someone to try to walk within those lines. but I do support the message. I definitely do. So I, I don't, message I haven't changed good. my mind. Delivery method, my... not so good. Um, <laughs> listen, I am here always and forever for a good metaphor. So I uh-huh, like right. that it was yeah. the metaphor of a bouncer. Like oh, you are the bouncer of your life. I'm always here for it. Um, so we're going to say overall good advice, but just remember how you deliver messages sometimes is also important. It prevents us from being able to hear the true value of your message. Um, and that goes for everybody, not just Leo, the life coach. Okay. So we're going to stay with this life coach um, kind of direction. Um, this is Sir Big Dre. Um, this is him, uh, a life coach of sorts, we'll say. I can't drink tonight. I drank last night. I can't drink tonight. I got work in the morning. Excuses. If you let excuses run your life, you'll never really live your best life. I may not be the best life coach, but at least you'll get drunk. (laughs) So in the comments, he says, this is a joke. So take a deep breath. (laughs) Sesson's face was intense. (laughs) This is a joke. (laughs) Um... (laughs) You guys want to talk about good or bad advice? <laughs> it is a joke. I'm trying to remember all the things he said. I can't drink tonight. Uh, I drank last maybe. night. Uh-huh. I can't drink tonight. I have work in the morning. Excuses. Um, it's an interesting way to define excuses. <laughs> <It> sounds, uh, <laughs> exactly. Given our immediately prior discussion, those sound like really important boundaries. And yeah. I'm going to say bad advice for like a few different reasons. Okay, okay. Uh, because um, uh, excuses in that example were boundaries. And, you know, mm-hmm. employment is good to maintain for a lot of people. Um, yes. And your health is good to maintain. Yeah. But right. humor is also important to have. So good on you. Um, Sir Big Dre for having humor. I like it. I'm here for it. Uh, Sess, anything to add? I 100% uh, support Sarah's um, suggestion (laughs) here. The idea that using the word excuses for boundaries, (laughs) um, not, I I don't know that that's how I would describe it. So Uh uh, I think I commend the humor though. I appreciate, is that someone who tends to post things? Said with so little humor. Well, I commend the utility of the humorous approach. Right. Um, yeah. I think this got 5.4 million views. Oh what? my God. What am I doing with my life? <laughs> what am I? 
I can. Why do I bother with any of the things that I try to do? But clearly, I just need TikTok to. I don't know what. To be clear, I did earlier say, "What are they talking about in those pods?" So I don't know what I would do with a TikTok. Five point four million views. That's insane Goodness. For, for just that clip. Beautiful. Yeah, and you know, people amazing. wouldn't even refer to it as a clip. It's like a full TikTok. What I showed you was the full TikTok. I yeah. hope that my research gets 20 citations this year. That would be like, honestly, <laughs> in academic world, this person would be tenured over that clip. That's amazing. Yeah. That's shocking. A comedy wow. genius. But yes, I... somewhat juxtaposition to our previous uh, good or bad advice. My, my. As always, thanks for listening to Attached. Remember to call us, email us, or get at us on the social medias about any relationship advice you've received, humorous or otherwise, um, that you're wondering whether to follow or pass on. We cannot wait to talk about it. 